Welcome to BIV Today, the daily business program from the Business in Vancouver newsroom. I'm Haley Wooden, executive editor at BIV. Next week, the Canada West Foundation hosts a virtual symposium on the topic of China's five-year plan. Discussions include conversations with speakers such as Canada's ambassador to China, Dominic Barton, and many conversations about the trade implications for Western Canada under this five-year plan. Carlo Dade, director of the Canada West Foundation's Trade and Investment Centre, joins me today to explore this topic further. Welcome back to the show. Morning, Haley. Good to see you again. Beyond the fact that China is our second largest trading partner, why should political and business leaders here care about China's latest five-year plan? Well, certainly those businesses that are engaged in trade with China, there's an immediate need to take advantage of our second largest trading partner, as you mentioned, handing us a roadmap of where they're going to take the economy, the direction they want for the economy over the next few years. Uh, again, Trade with China is growing something along the lines of 10 to 12% per year, uh, obviously ups and downs, but businesses in Canada, consumers in Canada are making the decision to continue to trade. And for those that are, having a roadmap, having the economy give you a roadmap of where they're going uh, is, is, is a rare gift. Also for companies that aren't necessarily in the Chinese market, but could be impacted by decisions that China makes that impact other markets or that impact the global market, it's also useful to have a heads up as to changes that may be coming down the pike, some of the obvious things, uh, so that you're not surprised a year or two years down the road. So what would you say are, are some of the biggest highlights or things that stand out most to you about China's short-term and longer-term economic priorities under this plan? So well, with, the five, with this five-year plan, uh, China and President Xi has announced that this five-year plan is different in that the goals of the plan and the goals of plans going forward will be different. Obviously, first and foremost, they're thinking about a long trade war with the U.S., a long conflict with the U.S., and making changes um, to be able to manage that conflict with the U.S., but equally, and perhaps more importantly for us, you know, President Xi has announced that the era of attempting to achieve moderate prosperity is over. So what that means to my reading is that China, on its path of development, I mean, you have to remember that China is still a developing country. They were admitted to the World Trade Organization under a special hybrid status that recognized that they were still developing. Um, but that China thinks it's reached a certain level of development where it's hit essentially middle income status. The attempt now is to use the five-year plans and state planning mechanisms to assure that the country continues growing towards developed country status. What this means is the tools, policies, and arrangements that you have to get out of absolute poverty to get to middle income status, uh, taking advantage of cheap labor using abundant natural resources, et cetera, will get you out of poverty. They'll get you the middle income status and they'll leave you stuck there. Those policies will not take you to develop status. So what does it mean for us if our second largest trading partner, soon to be the world's largest economy, is going undergoing this fundamental shift where they're changing their policy to 
avoid being stuck in middle income status and to grow to develop status. So innovation becomes more important. Clean technology, cleaning up the mess that you make to go from poverty to middle income status so that you can have the type of environment and society that will allow you to grow to uh, develop country status. Increasing internal consumption, domestic consumption, instead of relying just on exports. Again, exports, great strategy to, to grow out of absolute poverty, but you need internal domestic demand. So all these things have potential significant impacts on the types of products and services we will be selling to China in the future and their demand on, on from the global economy. To what extent do you think China is going to want to seek out, for example, new innovations and new technologies from partners abroad versus create their own so that there's an element of self-reliance within its own domestic economy? You know, that's a great question. Uh, I don't have the, 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 the in-depth insights, but from our work on looking at the plan, a few high-level things certainly stick out. And one is innovation is key. Uh, the ability to create new technologies, to move up the value chain uh, in, in terms of the things that China produces uh, become more critical. And you add to this the trade war with the U.S., the U.S. attempting to maintain their monopoly um, or their, their dominant status in terms of technology, digital technology, software, chips, et cetera, um, has put a real barrier to China continuing to grow. Uh, so the alternative for China, if you can't depend upon access to US technology, European technology, you're going to have to develop your own if you want to continue to grow. So things like cutting off Google and preventing the Android operating system being uh, sold or used by Chinese companies is going to force the Chinese cell phone manufacturers to develop their own software, an alternative to Google. Uh, China makes cell phones. China doesn't make iPhones. Well, they do for us, but the ones that the Chinese companies make, they sell to places like Africa, where there's booming demand. And um, you know, Apple doesn't sell a lot of products in Africa. There are not a lot of folks who are going to pay stupid amounts of money for a hunk of plastic where you can buy another hunk of plastic to do the same thing. It may not look as cute and have the fancy advertising, but that's a market that the China could have. But to get there, they may have to develop their own software. So that's the type of change I think uh, I think we'll see um, going forward. And it impacts us for agricultural technology. China's developing drones and other agricultural technology. They can be a market for us. They can be a partner for us in working on technology together to sell to places like Africa where we have difficulty, or they can be a competitor, but more than likely they're gonna be all three. And that's what we're looking at. Uh, partner, competitor, market. Uh, you're gonna see each of those evolve and change. Interesting. Uh, we're kind of in this post-Trump era now between Canada U.S. relations and Canada-China relations at the same time at all-time lows, which we've discussed many times on this show previously. Can Canadian businesses win in this scenario of a protracted trade war between China and the U.S. and what might need to happen for Canadian businesses to maybe come out ahead and take advantage of opportunities in China over the next five to ten years? I think certainly some businesses can. 
uh, whether that will be the majority or the minority, I, uh, I don't know. But there are certainly things that we can do to improve the chances of Canadian business. And first and foremost is to continue to engage with China to manage the trade relationship. Now, given what some of the readers are reading in other newspapers and other news sources, it may seem strange to talk about engagement. But if you look around at our allies, uh, groups like the Quad, the group of countries that are joining militarily and security arrangements to, to deal with China, those countries are our allies on the security front, but on the economic and trade front, they're our competitors. Uh, Australia signed a new agreement with, uh, with China in the Regional Comprehensive Economic Partnership. New Zealand updating its agreement. The Europeans signed an agreement. It hasn't worked out, but the larger point is they continue to engage. Even if the agreement doesn't work, they still continue to engage. And the Americans, fighting almost a hot war with China, they still managed to sign a trade deal with China, one that stabbed Canadian business in the back and really stabbed Canadian agriculture in the back. During the NAFTA negotiations, they told us, don't you dare think about talking to China. Meanwhile, what were they doing? Negotiating with China behind our back to save American farmers. So when you say engage, the reality is our allies who are our competitors are doing this. And if we don't, well, then your question about uh, will Canadian businesses succeed or not, if we don't have the basics of engagement that our allies and competitors are doing, it's certainly that much more difficult for those Canadian businesses that have to trade with China because it's the only market or because it's unavoidable. I remember over the last four years, there seemed to be more conversations about the need to diversify because many Canadian exporters were feeling the pain of the issues between Canada and the US under Trump. And I'm curious now that Trump's out of office, if we've lost any of that sense of urgency to diversify and, and whether we've learned our lesson that if we're too reliant on the US, that can hurt us. I don't, uh, I don't think so. Um, again, you know, for business, it's next quarter, uh, the end of the fiscal year. What market offers the best returns and the least risk? Uh, you know, why are you going to go to Honduras to work four times as hard for half the money because we have a free trade agreement with Honduras and there's a chance to diversify when you've got the U.S. Uh, uh, standing by? I think the diversification is occurring for factors like you mentioned. People have been burned recently in China or the U.S., but also as our product mix changes. So in the latest issue of the China Brief, our publication, fortnightly publication about China, we asked this question about diversification and what we can do vis-a-vis -vis China. And one of the answers I think is the product mix. So as we start processing peas domestically, um, we produce plant protein. So we sell plant protein to the US, potentially to Europe, but we're not going to sell plant protein uh, to China. Why? Because China takes our raw peas and they took like 70% of our raw peas last year. They take our raw peas, they turn it into noodles and they have plant protein powder left over. So as we move to value added with peas and instead of shipping them to China, we process them at home. We create a new product, plant protein, that's not going to go to China. It's going to go to other markets with canola. As we start crushing more canola at home, we have canola oil. That oil 
some of it may go to China, but it's also going to go to other markets. And the oil we sell to China won't have the same barriers that raw canola has. You know, we found stuff in your raw canola, we're not gonna take it. You don't have that problem if you're shipping oil, the no bugs or, or, or other things. But if we create a biofuel standard, a domestic requirement for biodiesel, biofuel, we're gonna use canola. And suddenly you're looking at that 2.5 million tons of raw canola we sent to China, we're processing it in Canada for biodiesel that we're selling in Canada. So as we shift our product mix and come up with new products, we increase value added in Canada and we also change the markets. So if we want diversification, I would argue the best path is to change what we produce uh, rather than trying to move canola to other markets. And when China cut our canola, we put, you know, the grain companies put the pedal to the metal and found every other market they could for our canola. And we still wound up $600 million short in terms of being able to move. So this idea of just find a new market for the same old stuff, put more stuff in hopper cars and try and send it out, isn't going to cut it. We have to change the product mix. And that requires government to make investments in trade infrastructure so we can move new products to new markets. It requires investments like the supercluster for plant protein to move business to new markets, to move move business to new products and to get people out of the rut of doing the same old thing. Sorry, that was a long answer. No, but that's a perfect jumping off point for my next question. Uh, what should Western Canadian business leaders be considering at this point in time if they're exposed to China or thinking about the Chinese market and making plans for the next five years? Well, certainly look at the five-year plan. And the plan is not just, it's not your old your grandfather's Soviet Union sort of worker group A is going to pour 100 yards of concrete uh, every quarter. It's not that sort of plan. It's a set of aspirational goals, targets, uh, where they rely on market and other mechanisms to, to move in that direction. But it certainly gives you indication of where investment will, go on, will be going and where changes will occur. It tells you what to look out for in the years ahead as the plan gets implemented. So number one, try and understand what's in the plan that may apply to you, how it may get rolled out that may apply to you. Uh, that is your best way of avoiding things that in hindsight will turn out to have been very, very obvious because they <laughs> told you they were coming and you have only yourself to blame if you didn't um, if you didn't get uh, take the heads up that the Chinese have given you, that's the uh, that is the most crucial thing for again for businesses that are there that are trading. We're not talking about encouraging new businesses to go or trying to sell China uh, the way the trade commissioners do. This is just for those firms that are there that are going to be impacted by what's happening. They're handing you a friggin' roadmap. Read it. <laughs> Figure out how to use it. That's a good point. And generally speaking, is this roadmap accurate? Does China stick pretty closely to the goals it sets out in its five-year plans? Sure. Yes. Um, they have a very good track record. Obviously, if you're judging by what the Chinese say, you know, they hit every target, everything was 101% achieved, <laughs> and it was early and under budget. If you believe that, I got a bridge to sell you someplace. But the larger point is, it may not be 101%, but it's going to be 90, 95% achieved. Uh, if they say they're going to go someplace and do something, they're going to go there. 
They may not go the way you first thought, but it's very good as a general sign of where things are going, the intensity and roughly how far. You know, compare this to the Americans. You know, Biden's announced his America's job plan and we're, oh my God, there's gonna be money in infrastructure. We don't know if this thing's gonna get approved and we don't know what it's gonna look like when Congress gets done and the negotiations get done. And we don't know if it's gonna last past uh, the next midterm elections. China, on the other hand, you don't have those worries or concerns. You know that this is a fairly uh, certain signal uh, again, within the parameters, you're going to discount it a little bit, uh, but you have that certainty that on the other hand, with the U.S., you certainly um, you certainly don't have and can't have. So you have a number of events planned next week in your virtual symposium on this topic of Western Canadian trade implications. What can a Western Canadian business leader expect to take away if they attend some of the sessions? So what we're trying to give are two things. One, an understanding of what this plan is and how it works. Two, we want businesses to be able to watch experts, businesses that use the plan. If you attend the energy session or if you attend the agriculture session, businesses that use the plan discuss how they use it. The plan is immense. It is thousands of pages. We're not going to be able to give you an overview of everything that's in there or even everything that in a high level view. But what we want businesses to understand is how this works and illustrative examples of how a analysis would be made of what to look for, how to understand what's in there, what to look for as the plan rolls out, how they can use it so that businesses can then go and take that information, look at the plan on their own and be able to, to, to try to start to understand it and whether or not they need to look at it, whether or not they can use it. So we're trying to download enough information so that businesses can walk away and do their own analysis or have more intelligent conversations uh, with sources of information that can help them avoid obvious problems and better manage risk and uh, see opportunities. I'm looking forward to the event next week. And Carlo, as always, thank you so much for joining the program with your insight. Hey, my pleasure. That's Carlo Day, Director of the Canada West Foundation's Trade and Investment Center. You can find out more about this virtual symposium happening next week at CWF. I'm Haley Wooden. This has been BIV Today. Thanks so much for joining us. We'll be back with a new episode of our show tomorrow. Tomorrow.